Production. Recorded live. Welcome to Continuous Delivery Podcast by Sia Technologies. My name is Faraz Sayed, and I'll be your host for this episode. I would like to welcome back Dan Rice to the podcast. We had an excellent discussion in last episode as we talked about agile transformation and the journey that enterprise organizations have to take to transform how they develop software and take software to the market. In this episode, we will talk about agile transformation and how it ties into overall continuous delivery software practice. One of the benefits of adapting Agile methodology for software development is that you're now developing software in smaller increments and releasing them often. But guess what? That can be a very difficult scenario for operations team since they have their concern with the stability of production environments and systems that the customers and their users are using. The manual process of releasing software can add to these, the complexities. With this in mind, the adoption of continuous delivery software approach can provide a platform for automating a lot of these processes and providing a framework around how, when, and what you release in production environment. In addition to that, you also need some kind of feedback loop, and continuous delivery provides that. So we'll drill into this topic with Dan today. Dan, welcome back. How are you doing today? Hi, Faraz. Thank you for uh, for inviting me back. I'm glad the uh, the first episode was well received, and uh, definitely look forward to sharing uh, more on the topic uh, here today. Awesome. Yep that uh, that that episode was uh, very well received, and uh, with that, we're building on on the topic itself, and we want to talk about continuous delivery. So let me start by asking for your perspective around agile transformation, agile software development practices, and uh, continuous delivery. Yeah, so you know, it, it's interesting. It's a it's a great topic because you know many times when we are consulting with our clients and our customers, we will we'll get into the subject of continuous delivery because so many of them have come from a maybe a kind of a waterfall or traditional development process, and you know at some point they made the decision to go agile, and so they did what we talked about on the last episode, right? They they started with their teams, they started transforming their teams, and. And uh, you know maybe they went in and they they addressed some of the portfolio and the the program level stuff that we talked about on the last episode, but what they find is the faster they move, uh, the more of a bottleneck uh, things downstream are. And when I say downstream, every organization is a little bit different, but sometimes we're talking about uh, quality processes that are in place. Sometimes we're talking about operations processes that are in place, and. Uh, one specific example I'm thinking of, and there's there's many like this, but uh, you know I, I remember working with a company that they would have uh, they would typically have quarterly. Originally they started with quarterly software releases. Originally they were they was annual, then they moved to kind of semi-annual, then they moved to quarterly. So so their idea of agile was they were now doing quarterly releases, and so four times a year they were releasing uh, you know a, a front-end mobile application with back-end uh, services and processes that needed to go out at the same time. Uh, and then they decided they wanted to move to six-week releases. The challenge with that is as they moved to fewer, more and more releases in less time, uh, they hadn't adopted uh, more automated processes as it related to QA and things like unit testing and integration testing and performance testing and uh, you know deploys, releases, environments, those kind of things. And so what they found is the teams were sprinting very quickly or iterating through the, the user stories and they were building value. And then that release would kind of drop into a, a chasm, if you will, and just sit there because there was 
in one particular case, there were it was it was as many weeks to do regression testing as it was to do the build of the software. So six weeks of, of writing code, and then literally another four to six weeks of testing the application before it could be released. Those development teams then went on and they were uh, building the next iteration of the software, uh, and everything continued to lag behind by several weeks to sometimes a couple of months when there were defects that were discovered and teams had to go back and, and fix those. So ad addressing the issues of shifting things left so that we can have more real-time feedback to the point you brought up earlier uh, can be a real challenge. So when we, when we move more quickly on the front end, we've got to also simultaneously figure out how to move more quickly further downstream so that we shift all of that stuff to the left and we can get that software in the hands of our customers sooner. Yeah, so one one of the things, uh, Dan, I kind of think about this is that um, you, you've got to be able to provide some kind of uh, traceability, right, because you are talking about uh, different environments, different tool chains that come into play uh, when you're talking about continuous delivery. Even just looking at continuous integration uh, there in itself, I can, I can think of, you know, build management tools, uh, IDEs, so many different aspects that are involved. So what are some of the examples um, that you can provide in terms of the tools uh, integration and the, the traceability uh, that we can uh, that it provides? Yeah, and, and there's and there's quite a bit of uh, of opportunity because you know as much as we would like to say that hey there's a single tool or there's a single platform that will make us uh, into a continuous delivery organization and a more agile organization that's just not the case there. There are a number of tools uh, in different categories, really. So if we, list, if we just look at the categories of tools that are involved in continuous delivery, uh, you've, got, you've got platforms that manage your actual user stories and your features and your initiative information that, that you use to track the real-time value and the progress of where you are against building against that business value. Um, you've got IDEs and, and tools that developers use to actually build software that has to integrate with those Agile management platforms. You've got test requirements and test case management tools. You've got uh, source control and code coverage tools and uh, security tools, continuous integration, um, repositories. I mean, the list, the test automation, test data, you can continue to go on and on talking about the different categories, and there are probably an, uh, another half dozen that I could mention. So when you have all of these tools in an ecosystem, uh, if they're all disconnected, and you really need to have some continuation in between those tools, you end up with a lot of manual importing and exporting processes to, to try to connect those tools. So, so when we start looking at uh, traceability, we start thinking in terms of how these tools connect. You know, so how does, your, how does your Agile management platform connect in with your uh, maybe platform that's tracking and creating, helping you create your test cases and your test data? How do the integrations work there? When, you, uh, when you're running tests, you know, your testing platform, the testing scripts that you're using, maybe you've got uh, homegrown testing scripts or maybe you're using more automated platforms in those spaces. Um, we've got to have feedback coming from, you know, from those test suites that, that run, and then that traceability gets integrated and those results get integrated back into your Agile management platform so that you can understand what, uh, what tests have been run and have those test cases actually pass so that we have traceability into the quality that we're standing up. You know, when we, when we look at things like, um, you know, performance testing, I mean, there again, more 
we, we want to push performance testing further to the left. And so uh, there are platforms in place that, uh, that have been for years that help us do that. And there's also newer players coming to the market that we've got to get that performance uh, test data back in, our release process. So the environments that, that our software gets released to, we, we want to be able to track that and understand what configurations of our environments are in place in any of our environments at any time. And we want to have that traceability back into our into that Agile management platform so that we can understand it all the time. Where are we from a release perspective? Where are we from a test perspective? Um, and, and where are we from an acceptance perspective in terms of these, uh, these user stories being executed against and being accepted? So we want full traceability, um, not just for regulatory environments. We really want that full traceability for for all of our environments, so we have a really solid handle on, on quality and where we are with delivery. Excellent point. I mean, I, I will kind of talk about, um, you know, recently we, CA Technologies, we acquired uh, Blaze Meter, and the whole idea behind that was that uh, we, we add this, um, this solution set into the continuous delivery platform, uh, so that now you can actually do performance testing uh, as part of your, your continuous delivery. Performance testing as a code, there's a concept that we're, we're working on uh, with BlazeMeter. So fascinating stuff. Uh, let me kind of switch gears and, and go more on the strategy side of things. So um, what results uh, can we expect from getting, impl uh, get, you know, getting, uh, get from the implementation of Agile and continuous delivery strategy for enterprise organizations? Yeah, I think that's great, and, and I, I really want to kind of tie back to something you just said a second ago before you asked this question, Faraz, and that is uh, you talk about shifting performance testing to the left. I mean, I've seen real examples where organizations have spent weeks and months building functionality that, that they wanted to get in the hands of their customers, and they were driven to, uh, to work long hours in some cases uh, to, to be able to get that functionality out, and then they run into a situation where they begin to do that late stage performance testing and they find out that these services that they've built uh, cannot meet the demands of the amount of traffic that's going to be hitting their website or their mobile app or what have you. And they literally have to pull back months of work and re-architect things because they didn't shift that information far enough to the left. And in some cases, completely reboot some of those programs. Uh, to the tune of a very large dollar expense to having to go back and do all of that rework, rework in late stage. So the better job that we can do of automating those processes and shifting that stuff to the left, we're going to see some, some real value. So, so what is some of that value? So, let, let's, so if we just talk about it from the perspective of what does it cost to find a defect late in development? So everybody's seen the, the graphs where we talk about uh, the further to the right that we find a defect, the more expensive it is. And so if we, we think about what if we were able to shift these things to the left and find those defects in an iteration, in a development cycle, uh, because we've got the proper code coverage, because we've got the proper test data coverage, uh, we've got the proper amount of test case execution in place. And that can be from two perspectives. It could be one, um, not enough test case coverage, not enough test execution, and it could also be the other direction. We have too much. And so we're, we're spending uh, the, the, the resources of the organization to execute tests that we might not need to execute because we don't really understand the true path of, uh, of the criteria of what we're testing against. And so there, there's some, some, some things to figure there. But we've seen, in some organizations, we've seen defects 
rates drop by as much as 50 to 60, maybe even 65% in some of these organizations. And if we think about the amount of time that we spend, uh, and depending on how automated or not automated, and in that example I was talking about earlier where there were six weeks of regression that happened uh, for a release of a mobile app, um, you know, you're also looking at manual, te you know, manual tests being run. You're looking at manual defect results being captured and then communicated back via maybe a platform or maybe even an email to a developer who then has to stop what they're currently doing to go fix that defect so that these folks in regression can get back to getting that regression test done and, and get that release out. And then here our developer has to then shift again back to the current release they're building because we've got these processes that are shifted out to the right. So uh, reduction in defects, um, identifying things like proper test cases and test data, uh, the amount of time that it saves, the amount of money it saves, not having to, to switch back and forth um, starts to add up pretty quickly. Uh, you know, if we look at uh, things like environment issues, and we've got code that needs to be deployed, and we've, now we've got these agile teams that are building multiple releases at the same time because we've got the downstream processes that are a bottleneck. Now we've got two or three releases maybe that we've got in flight, and now we need multiple environments to be able to push forward with that testing. So if we don't have an automated environment strategy, like a, maybe a service virtualization approach or a, a VM you know, type of approach, a, a virtual, virtual setup approach, what we're going to run into now is we're, we've got developers, which are probably some of our most expensive resources in our organization, sitting, waiting on environments to be stood up. You know, if we look at things like build, you know, build automation, uh, I've worked with organizations who've got terribly slow build environments or mm -hmm. didn't have the proper replication in place, and now their uh, developers are they're committing code, and then they're yeah, and they've got so they've got automated scripting that that pulls that you know checks that code out and builds it, and then you know pushes that build to the build server to be built. But when developers are sitting waiting for, and I remember in one case, uh, I had a team of developers waiting almost 45 minutes for a build to be pushed through the build server and be able to be pushed into a dev environment so that they could get feedback to see if the code they had written worked integrated with the other code. Now they could always do local testing and unit testing on the code that they were building, but the bigger problem is when we go to integrate that code, being able to get real feedback against the entire system and not just the piece of code that they've changed. So. We really need to look at the timing of all of that and the amount of time saved by investing in build infrastructure, by investing in environment infrastructure, uh, by investing in automating tests. You know, uh, I hear companies say, well, but it's pretty expensive to invest in all of that automation. But if you really add up the cost of all of the manual efforts mm -hmm. and what that is, because if you, you know, if you don't automate, then the next release you have to do all of that over again. So you start compounding the cost of that, and, and organizations see a significant decrease in cost by uh, investing in continuous delivery and automation and, and these kind of things. Yeah, I mean, at one point you mentioned about service virtualization. That in itself, in my mind, removes constraints because, as you said, developers are expensive expensive people, and uh, right. having them sit around waiting on an environment or a third-party API, that, uh, that's a very expensive uh, you know, wait. Uh, so using systems and, and, and solutions like service virtualization, I think, help uh, greatly. 
By the way, I'm going to have a, a, a topic, uh, a podcast specifically around service virtualization uh, coming up in the next uh, couple of episodes. So that would be a, a great place to find out more about what's our point of view and perspective. So, Dan, we talked a lot about service virtualization, automation, uh, all these things. But I always wonder that um, when you have so much automation, uh, can that backfire from talent management perspective? I mean, you've got really smart people. You've got, uh, and, and one of the challenges in today's market is attracting uh, talented people. So with automation, what's the risk there? What's your perspective? Yeah, so, so it is interesting because when you have all of these folks doing these manual processes, and you, you're, you're employing a lot of very talented, you know, smart individuals, as you said, for us, and then you start to automate these processes, and we've got folks sitting around going, well, what do I do now? I don't have to run all these test cases manually anymore. I mean, I, I know one, one particular company that I, uh, that I work closely with today, and you know, their entire build pipeline, all, all the way through from committing code to releasing into production, is completely automated. So literally, when a developer commits a new change or some, some change set of code, nobody touches that code again, and that software ends up in production, running on a production stack, uh, literally in some cases within minutes. And so you say, well, what about all of those people that used to do the manual testing and the performance testing and um, manage the environments and all of these things? Well, these are very talented people that can be repurposed to do uh, more and, and handle more critical functions within the organization. So we, we talk about manual testing, and I know you've got, a, you've got an episode coming up in the future on, uh, on, on testing and quality. So you know, these folks don't, uh, they don't have to sit around running these mundane test cases over and over again. Everybody knows that the submit button works. Everybody knows when I click on this field, I can type characters into the field, and the, and the masking works, and, and the various aspects of, uh, of these fields and navigation around the screen. So these kind of tests that we do over and again that we can completely automate, we can have our testers do more, uh, maybe corner case testing, or maybe the really critical uh, tests that nobody has the time to think about because they're spending all their time doing the manual tests. You know, we can have our uh, folks that are managing environments and, and the operations folks today, rather than just uh, handling the same manual issues over and over again. They can be researching new technologies. They can be uh, innovating and looking for newer ways to incorporate technology into, into our environments. If you look at all the things that are happening or have happened in the space over the last couple of years with containers and Docker and some of these other concepts, um, you know, probably none of that would have been able to uh, have been envisioned or innovated on if everybody was still uh, spending all of their time doing all of the manual work in the environments that, that had happened prior to some of these automated processes. So, so let's get these folks engaged in more innovative, more critical problems that we face as an organization uh, and learn how to address those issues instead of spending their time doing these mindless manual tasks. And I think what, what we see that comes out of that when organizations take this approach is they find that the, their, the job satisfaction, employee satisfaction starts to go up. So, so one of the metrics that we look at, actually two of the metrics we look at that are unrelated. So last, in the last episode, we talked about things like productivity, predictability, responsiveness, and quality. But, but two of the areas we see that as organizations embrace agile and continuous delivery that really climb uh, are employee satisfaction and customer satisfaction. 
And so we get real, there's real measures and metrics, things like the net promoter score that we can do to track, uh, you know, customer satisfaction. But there are some metrics we can use internally that we can start to understand employee satisfaction. We start looking at employee retention because people feel like they're, they're more involved in things that they really want to do instead of those same manual processes that when they roll out of bed in the morning, they go, geez, I have to go to work again today. So we want them to be really excited about being on the cutting edge, being involved in innovation. Um, some of the other things, things just you know, came to mind when we were talking about this is um, so the concept of doing hackathons. So a lot of our organizations that we work with that have gone to these automated processes have freed up time where their, their folks can then be involved in innovation more because, they, because they're not spending a week or two doing all of these manual tasks. They set aside a certain number of days for their folks to dive into a hackathon and, and do some innovative work and come up with some great features. And some of the most successful organizations today, they find that many of their best features that are part of their software platforms have come from somebody participating in a hackathon and just being able to free think and have that innovative time. And so let's invest these folks and their talent in those kind of endeavors as opposed to the manual processes that we can automate in an inexpensive way. Yeah, that's a good point. And and, and one thing, um, as you were talking, I was thinking about the hackathons, right? And uh, hackathons is not a small company or digital company initiative uh, uh, anymore, right? I mean, I've, I've known enterprise customers, big, large, you know, traditional companies that have been around for 100, 100 years or so. They're doing hackathons to find that innovation, to find how they can solve those problems. How can they accelerate innovation? Uh, so it's a very, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a very good concept. And uh, as a matter of fact, of uh, you know, within CA itself, um, we're we're leading some of these hackathons for our customers. So talking about the talent, uh, Dan, I, I I started thinking about uh, in our last episode we talked about uh, scaled agile framework. Um, when you talk about teams, these teams are focused on software development. You've got a program uh, that you know these teams kind of roll up to. Where does the the continuous delivery and DevOps tools and and you know tool chain fit into in the uh, you know in the context of uh, scaled agile framework? Yeah, that's a great question. It's really kind of both that program level and that team level. So. So the teams are interacting, and, and there's, it's interesting. There are different personas that uh, that would interact with different parts of these tool chains. So if we talk about, uh, you know, the folks at the kind of the program or the portfolio level that are involved in this process. So, we, so let's talk about, like, say, the product manager, for example. So in the Safe Framework, the product manager is somebody that owns this feature backlog of work. So these larger initiatives have been broken down into features. And these product owners, uh, product management function, uh, they own the features, and so they're very interested in how these, uh, you know, how these features are going to get delivered to market, uh, what's the timing, and, and what's the progress. And they're going to get that feedback from the teams, but typically a product manager is then going to be responsible is, is a content authority over multiple uh, multiple features and that, that potentially touch multiple uh, teams of folks and even component teams and some of these back end systems. So. Uh, so folks at the at the product management function, now you've got folks at the at the architecture function that are going to be very involved with some of these continuous delivery tools, uh, and that's typically a function that plays kind of at that. There's an enterprise level architect that plays at the portfolio level, but there's also uh, program level architects that play at that program level layer in the scaled agile framework. And so 
uh, you know, those folks are going to be interested in things like service virtualization, uh, you know, in, the re in some of the release capabilities, release management, release automation processes uh, going to be involved there. You know, when you, we talk about folks like, you know, at the team level, like the, the product owner, uh, you know, in the Scrum Master, some of these folks, you know, they're going to start, uh, they're going to get into some of these tools that are around test data management potentially, around uh, Azure, you know, Azure Requirements Designer or, you know, the user story management, those kind of things. They're going to get involved in application test and performance test. Uh, and, you know, I think we said test data management. So, yeah, I mean, so the product owner is going to interface at multiple levels. That product owner is a team level role. So you've got, you know, some tools that are functioning uh, down at that team level as well. You know, that Scrum Master is probably mostly looking at the, uh, the management of those roadblocks and the progress of that work against the, the iteration goals. And so they're probably using your Agile management platform to be able to get real-time visibility into what they're doing. Uh, when we talk about the developers and testers, uh, a critical component of an Agile team, uh, they're really going to be interacting with uh, quite a few different tools. So that Agile management platform, for sure, they're going to they're going to interact with the, the test management work, the uh, performance management, the test data management, the release automation, the service virtualization, uh, probably even the API management stack or platform there as well. So uh, definitely uh, a lot at the team level, but certainly also uh, at the program level as well. Great. Dan, thank you. Uh, it was uh, It is always great to have you on the podcast. Lots of great uh, insights. Are you going to be at uh, at World next week? I am going to be there. Excellent, excellent. What's your uh, Twitter handle so that uh, uh, we can have our audience find you somewhere in Sea World? Yeah, my, my Twitter handle is Agile Dan Rice. So Agile Dan Rice, just like my name. So Perfect. Agile Dan Rice. That's uh, easy to remember as well. So again, thank you, Dan. Folks, these podcasts are available on iTunes Store. You can search for Continuous Delivery 101 podcast by SIA Technologies. My Twitter handle is at Fuzz Syed, F-U-Z-Z Syed. Stay tuned for next podcast. I'll be talking to some of our customers at CA World. If you're going to be there, please find me. Look forward to meeting with you. We're going to be talking to some of our customers and learning from them, from them and their experience for their continuous delivery and agile journey. Until then, take care and thank you.